25 years later, after the wall fell, Berlin remains complicated and unfinished. Complicated by history and counter-history, with an urban fabric that resists all attempts to reorder it. Berlin fascinates, and people continue to be drawn to its darkness and its light. I took a walk through this beautiful world Felt the cool rain on my shoulder Found something good in this beautiful world I felt the rain getting colder is never Berlin, they say. Pounded into rubble by Allied bombs and Russian artillery in World War II. Surrounded, then hacked in two during the Cold War. Then reunited and reborn, Berlin is a city of ghosts. An ever-evolving space where memories and new ideas live side by side. In between and after the wars, Berlin has always been a place where you find what you want or what you think you need, what you can't get back home. A place where fantasies could come true. It's all here if you know where to look. It's no coincidence, it's a natural progression really, that Berlin's nightlife is excessive completely and proudly uninhibited and never-ending. There are clubs for everybody, and many are friendly towards whatever your personal lifestyle choices might be. Club culture is the pride of Berliners and draws millions of thrill-seekers from all over the world. It is notoriously difficult to navigate, however, and finding the right place with the right mix that will actually let you in the door can be a challenge. Decides who gets in, keeps each place with its own personal non-judgmental balance, are people like Frank Kunster. For 25 years, he's been the gatekeeper and bouncer at some of Berlin's most infamous club doorways. You were described as a legendary doorman. Yeah, maybe. Uh, owner? Uh, uh, at uh, the last three years, I owned the bar. Right. Um, a professional partier in Berlin. What time do they show up at the club? Six in the morning. No way. Oh, yes, of course. So wait a minute, you arrived at 6 a.m. And then the clubs, they go from Saturday evening to Monday morning without any break. So people go there normally Sunday morning. And then they dance Sunday whole day and whole night and go home Monday morning. Yeah, so you're talking 24 hours. Yeah, oh, 36 hours, no 36 problem. hours. What are you doing for 36 hours in a day? Dancing, talking, chilling, hugging. 
whatever. I don't want to do any of those things for 36 hours personally. I mean. <laughs> Danke. Also, ich wollte ein, aber egal. Lass erst mal stehen. Ja, lass erst mal stehen. Um, I, I have to begin, sorry. Uh, oh, beautiful. <laughs> As a large man with a physically challenging job, Frank likes meat, as I do. So a long-established butcher shop like Fleischerei Donkey is just what the both of us need. Yeah. Pork schnitzel with murky delicious brown gravy and boulette, which I gather is German for meatballs, is the kind of working-class food one wants and needs. So... What attracted you to this business? And the night had always like, uh, I always was attracted to the night. I think people in the night, when they are on alcohol or on drugs, open their mind. It's also because it's dark, they are more free in their mind. And I found that interesting. Berlin is world famous for its club scene. Why here? I think because we are the last liberal city, like real liberal, you know. The people can afford being here, it's cheap to drink, it's cheap to live, it's cheap to eat. And people come here because of the freedom to party, to get wasted as hard as possible. <laughs> How about the police and the government at this time? You know, you've got thousands of people taking ecstasy and dancing all night till uh, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. I, I think the, the government night. knows. I know policemen, and they know about like people doing drugs, and they come to our clubs, do drugs by themselves, or not, only drink, but they accept, and everybody's cool with it. Berlin is a party city. It's no real industry besides a party industry, and so, so many tourists coming only because of that, from Spain, from Italy, from Russia, from US, from UK, to get totally lost and totally wasted, but not in a bad way, just like in a Buddhistic way, it's like in the moment you get lost, you can't find yourself. And that, I think, what excess is about. Pure hedonism. Come to Berlin, get high, party. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Absurd, tragic, almost metaphoric, but all too real expression of humanity's failure and depravity. A 96 mile stretch of concrete and razor wire cut Berlin into an island of capitalistic West and gray, soul crushing, repressive communist East. They keep a few chunks of it around, a reminder of terror, of triumph, or simply to take selfies in front of. Every day, fewer and fewer remember that the world almost ended right here. Even as the wall fell, techno music seemed to express something that needed to be expressed. Dance music and ecstasy and mammoth nightclubs exploded across a reunited Berlin. During that time, DJs like Ellen Alien were pioneers of a new sound 
and a new generation. East and West, a unifying force. Sausage is my favorite food. As a German, you need sausage. Mm. Yeah, this is, it's good. Mm, very good with the apple and salbei, I think. Lunch at Michelburger, a joint on Friedrichshain. Sausage of chicken, pig's feet, and sage with smoked mashed potatoes and apple. Beef shoulder, braised and served with root vegetables, potatoes, horseradish, and God help me, kale. When did the wall come down? That was uh, what year? 89. 89. So everything started 89. Everything started 89. First, the club scene um, was based in the, in the west side, where the first techno club opened. Wall came down, and then everything moved to the east because there was space a lot of industrial places, and music was a meeting point of the East and West, and a meeting point of young people trying to move together. And this happened in the club. When the wall came down, it was our music to come together, so it's very deeply in our blood. That's why it's so strong for me, still being a DJ, because um, this time was a very strong impact for my soul. Over time, so many artists, musicians, writers from elsewhere have come to Berlin. It's always been sort of a magnet for artists for a lot of reasons. Why do you think here of all places would be so welcoming and attractive to creative people? I think after the second war, everything was burned here. There was nothing. Nothing was here, only like broken stones, you know. Everything was gone, all the history. So people start building up the new Berlin or whatever. And we are still in that process, you know. And when you come here, you have, you have the feeling that you have to help to build something here. I'm a part of it. If I go to Paris, I'm not thinking I'm a part of Paris. I'm not, because there's so much history you can see on Rome. Right. I think only about the Rome history. Yes. Because there's everything you can touch is the open air museum, yeah? But here, you have the feeling you build something. And I think that's why so many people come here. When I'm here, I start being so creative. Because it makes something to me. It's a very quiet city, but also there is something brodeling, you know? Something that you have the feeling you want to be a part of. And I think that's why many people come here. There's no past, there's only a future, in a sense. You can create your own world here. Yeah, exactly, yeah. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. 
Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. You know, when I was a teenager... The, the real punk rockers were like, oh, of us. And they, so they were already like, no, 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 punk's dead by the time we got into it, which is like Hi, everybody, this is Anton, and I'm going to tell you about what I did to make dinner. I used two legs of lamb. I need to do a paper towel. I washed them first. And I laid them down on a cutting board and I stabbed them. And I sliced cloves of garlic into small slivers and I inserted those into the holes. Then I rubbed the lamb with olive oil and covered it in sea salt and um, black pepper. And I sliced potatoes and parsnips and carrots and a little bit of onions and laid a bed inside a glass Pyrex dish. And I stacked those in the oven, got them very hot for a second. And then I turned it all the way down to about 125 and I let it go. Anton Newcomb is a legend. A true believer, the man behind the ever-changing entity known as the Brian Jonestown Massacre, which was always basically him. Seen by many as perhaps the greatest and most promising musical force since Bob Dylan, he avoided mainstream success with a notorious combination of self-sabotage and sheer determination to do his own thing, his own way, completely independent of an industry he loathed. Anton, who comes from Southern California, has made Berlin his home, his refuge. So we're going to do it at 146. 146? Yep. So what's going to happen is there's going to be two. I'll go like that. <laughs> we'll just see. Okay, we're not going to okay. change it. Let's okay. keep eye contact. Yeah. It's about okay, ready? switching. <laughs> he makes music, paints, and cooks in his studio. Still tours to sold-out shows, collaborates with other artists to brilliant results, and continues to create and record incredible music his own way, always. Zero 
compromise. He's not just one of the most prolific recording artists in history, but an excellent and enthusiastic cook, frequently combining both callings at the same time. So this has to come out. So if it's cooking from almost one o'clock to six, maybe. Um, I also made sweet potatoes and you have to stab those and then wrap them in foil. And I covered the bottom of the oven with oil because they tend to leak a sugar. It's very hard to clean that stuff, but that's what they do. Very simple. Um, good stuff. I think that's the, the basic stuff that we cooked right there. And but the lamb turned out good. So there you go. Today, Anton basically prepared a delicious feast for a large group of friends and wrote, composed, and recorded some new songs. It is entirely likely that he released the record in the following days. For a guy with a reputation for being, well, let's say, difficult, by the way, he was, with us, always lovely. Kind, indulgent, the host with the most, and he made a really good dinner. An incredible soup, a mind-boggling array of side dishes, serious cooking chops. You've been adored. You've been the hot band that everybody wanted. You've had all the things that a lot of people coming up, you know, yearn for. I, I, I wonder what thrills you. I like music's a puzzle to me because I'm not I'm self-taught so I basically have to teach myself every idea that's going through my mind and they're going really quick so it's like a race to accomplish it what's your turnaround time because it's legendary like between recording here is my and releasing well, we've been making a song a day. Like, in between cooking right here, I was able to record with her. It's no problem. And I constantly want to challenge myself. And right now, I want my music to have a certain amount of energy because I'm 50 and I want to prove to people that it's irrelevant how old you are. I just enjoy playing music. It's why I'm 50 years old and playing music. You know what I mean? It's like I would just want to remind people that they could just do what they want to do, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and do what I want to do. But meanwhile, I would love to. The, the one thing that I could accomplish in my life was just to remind people that they, it's a possibility that they could do what they want to do if they want to do it. <laughs> do you, do you make? Did I hear you make schnapps? Ollie's got it going on. He's good. If, uh, they have their own. This bottle right here. Right. Oh, it's beautiful. Wow. Everybody makes their own little aperitif thing. There's every different area has their own types. There's a million different types, you know? So this is ours. Thank you. Wolf, are you gonna do one? Don't put a hair on your chest, son. Look everybody in the eye and you gotta go. 
Look, you gotta go skull. It says skull. Yeah. Okay, yeah. You got it. You gotta say prost, okay? <laughs> you ready? Ready? Here we go. Ready? Here we go. Prost, say it. Prost. You got it. I should point out here that the young man is drinking grape juice. Right on. Wow. <laughs> he pulled it off almost. People talk nostalgically about Paris in the 20s, the flapper era in the States. But there was really no place like Berlin in that time. We vividly recall with horror the rise of National Socialism, the Nazis. But simultaneous to that, a bubble of extravagantly creative ferment, of artistic experimentation, sexual libertinism, intellectual growth, open tolerance of excess in all things. All the constraints of the Victorian age seem to be crumbling for a while. During the Weimar era, as it's called, people flocked to Berlin, to its cabarets, its clubs. Art thrived. Its cinema led the world. Escape from the hardships of daily life were everywhere, it seemed. This, right alongside the rising tide of evil that would soon eat half the world and reduce much of it to ashes. Do you see any parallels between oh. Germany in the 20s and where we are today? Yes. yes. Like when you read Isherwood or other people from other countries coming to Germany, they it, say, yeah. oh, everything is so cheap and affordable and you can get anything, mm. anything you want. Mm. I think here it's just, just yeah. go for it. And people still come here just to disappear into the nightlife and yes. uh, live their fantasies. And again, it was exactly like that in the 20s. It's the same, but just different. Brendan Nash is a historian who gives walking tours highlighting the Weimar era's more famous expats. Elsa Edelstahl is a promoter of 20s-themed events throughout the city. La Pustra has been called Cabaret's darkest muse. He's the creator of Cabaret Der Namenlosen, a Weimar-era theatrical event that reimagines cabaret culture of the 20s with dark, brooding, sexual undertones. We meet at Gross in West Berlin. Though promised 1920s-style classic fare, I was in this regard disappointed. The food was excellent, though. Germany's cool with, you know, come to our country, get high, and, and, and party. It's not Germany, it's Berlin. Yeah. It's Berlin. Yeah. And in Berlin, yeah. we say Berlin is not Germany, you yes. know? Yeah. I remember the first time I was in Berlin when I was 14 years old. And I remember exactly coming here and having this almost physical feeling of freedom. Like, yeah. I was a goth girl at that time. Like, I started to only wear black and listen to dark music. And when I came to Berlin, like, I was like, mm -hmm. yes, here I can be who I want to be. And it, all, it almost felt a little bit magical. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that people who came here from other countries back in Weimar era and now, people are looking for a dark side. 
do you think? Certainly, with the people are looking for things they couldn't do at home. Exactly. They're looking for... They still come here for the forbidden. Mm. <laughs> things that, you know, they're, they're, you know, then you can tell the people who've come and gone crazy. It's, it's, it's captured people's imagination, so people come here in search of that divine decadence. Yeah. And it is here. It definitely is. During the Weimar years and later, just before and after the wall came down, Berlin became a refuge for artists, writers, and musicians at a crossroads in their lives. Most notably, in 1976, David Bowie came here. Have a seat. Well, there we go. There we go. Jim Rakeep is a celebrated photographer known for his intimate portraits. He began his career as a photojournalist and in 76 captured the first moments of David Bowie stepping off the train in West Berlin. A city he would live and work in for the next three years. Bowie was exhausted and burned out and looking for a new way to live and to work. And the music he created during that time was something truly groundbreaking and new. The result was both a professional and personal rebirth and some of the most powerful and influential recordings of all time. Classics which I'd love to play here, but cannot afford. He wasn't a big name at the time, but it was a historical point because he came to Berlin the week after uh, he split with his band. And from L.A. he went to Berlin. He had to regenerate from... Well, L.A. had been really bad. I mean, apparently existing only on cartons of milk yeah. and cocaine, I think, <laughs> and not much else. Yeah. And essentially came to Berlin, yeah. oddly enough, given its reputation, to clean up. Yeah. Uh, clearly in really bad health, in a really bad place. And yet, the music that he made here was very different than anything he'd done before. What do you think he found here that was good for him? Well, he lived a pretty low-profile life in Berlin, I have to say that. He could be anonymous here, like everybody admired him, but uh, nobody talked to him. That's um, a big advantage. And a funny thing is, uh, when you have that sort of visionary pregnancy, that you say something's gonna come, something's gonna fall from the sky, it does. Now, back in the early 70s when David Bowie arrived, a lot of people don't realize that Berlin was surrounded. I mean, it was essentially an island uh, during much of that period. Yes. Uh, yeah. Outside of whatever Bowie was doing, what was, what was it like in West Berlin at that time? It was like uh, pressure cooking. You know, it was like pressure cooking. West Berlin was surrounded by the wall, and there were just three roads leading to West Berlin, and they were controlled by the Russians, basically. So why would a walled city surrounded by hostile forces be such a hothouse for art, music, and free expression? West Berlin was always very international. We had like people were flying in uh, from all walks of life. Artists from uh, all genres were here, and we were surrounded by East. The wall was a solid resistance, 
And you need a strong enemy to build a strong muscle. And people who were living here had to improvise a lot. I mean, look, it's, it's what is seen by many as a, you know, a golden period. Uh, the Weimar era was, in fact, a hotbed of music and culture and art in between two really awful events, yes. followed by the wartime years, followed by a long period. I mean, post-war, Berlin was in ruins. When were the good times? I have a, I have a very um, complex answer to that, and that is the best times are now. We have all the freedoms we want, you know. I think the best times are now. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Sunday afternoon in Berlin, at the Mauer Park flea market, is a place where expat artists and locals alike can find what they want and didn't know they needed. Oh, there you are, Wolfgang. Can't lose you. Adidas tracksuit. Oh, man, that's a good look. Joining the throngs of frugal shoppers, Anton, Wolfgang, and I, we have some purchases in mind. So this is where I usually take a, a cigarette break because... Because <laughs> he'll be a while... Well, what would you do if you had a five-year-old brain? This is like, yeah. his synapsis is going. Thank you. We spend one second with the records. Oh, hell yeah. The main thing that I'm looking for is always Beatles and mono, anything in mono from the 60s stuff from when they DJ. Yeah. Okay, I'll get two records. Quick enough, right? Cool. Thank you. He asked me for the for like the third time where I come from, and then he remembers that I'm in a band and that I live here for years and I see him every week. He's an interesting guy, kind of. He tends to moan a lot. For dinner? I think I think German food. Thank you. I'm assuming that most days you're working in the studio. Do you take days off? We just do you nothing. Should be doing that. See. Uh, but yeah, I, li I like to create every day. And then sometimes I'm just too tired. And that's why my studio, as you saw, is set up as a house. So I just go there and lay on the couch, listen to records. Because the type of music that I listen to keeps my mindset 
exactly the same endlessly. So my month becomes like a day and my, my sleep becomes like a nap. I just pick it up where I left off. So I, I can think on ideas on the back burner of my mind for, for weeks, you know? It's like the con what they would call like alpha wave generation. It's just like you keep yourself going in a zone, you know? It's weird. I love this. This is this is what I come to Germany for. Real deal. Icebine is pork knuckle, or more accurately, a big freaking shank. Unlike Schweinehaxe, its crispy roasted cousin, Icebine is brined, cured then boiled with spices until tender and falling off the bone. Usually served with sauerkraut and boiled potatoes. Schnitzel, pounded, breaded, and deep fried and served with brown potatoes and green mushrooms. What do people like here? I mean, or do you even know? Well, you know, it goes from cheesy pop to Garage. People love techno. It's known for techno and, yeah. and real ethnic sing along, get drunk songs. Um, do you play locally? Do you play here a lot? It's like, no, 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 no. You just you live and work here and record here, but you don't. I'm not interested in it too much because I have you nothing know, to prove. I mean, I've been playing since I was 11 years old. Do you do you have do you think you have any responsibility as a musician other than to make the best uh, art you can? Well, I have self-set goals. I believe it's the duty of older people to hold the torch just so somebody gets it, and then even older people can look behind them and go, ah, oh, somebody else got it, they're following down the road. So that means like an older rider can go, okay, all isn't lost, it didn't end in the 60s, here's this younger guy, he's 50, see? But it's my responsibility to hold that torch for other people that are younger than me down the road. And even for the, the squares, to leave just this tangled mess of your art and ideas and let people figure it out. Don't spell it out. Right. <laughs> you know? But I, I love it up here. I think it's okay. Because people stay out of my hair and, and uh, you can be invisible. Well, that must be nice. Crazy, right? This is actually really good. No human could eat all of this. Yes, yeah, farmer style. <laughs> Yeah, I am. I am farming nothing after this. and deeply loved signature street foods of Berlin are Currywurst and Donner. And what better place to enjoy such delicious treats than in front of a classic of German cinema? In this case, Fritz Lang's silent masterpiece, Metropolis, an artifact of the Weimar era that's still politically relevant. It's seen as a cornerstone of cinema and the mother of sci-fi movies. Billy Wagner has invited me to a midnight showing at the booze and food-friendly Leash Blakino Movie House in Prenzlauberg. He's the co-owner and sommelier at the Michelin-starred restaurant 
Nobleheart and Schmitzing in Kreuzberg. The question of the day being what German wines pair best with a utilitarian treat like currywurst. Fried pork sausage smothered in ketchup and a dusting of curry powder. Now, how did this become a beloved dish? I have no idea. It's a lot of flavor. It's mm -hmm. spicy, it's fat, it's salt. It's roasted, uh, then you have fries of it. Mm -hmm. It's Oh, I understand why people eat it. I am. <laughs> Alcohol. Junk food, yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> but at the end, it's a very cheap thing, you know? You, you get two sausage with fries, um, with a beer. When you pay much, 10 euro. Oh, so like a quick uh, worker's lunch. Yes, right. yeah. So what uh, wine would you suggest with this? We should try glass of champagne. There's a place in Berlin where they serve currywurst with uh, champagne. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Champagne always works, obviously. Well, I like this. It's a good match. Super. Cool place that you can come and see movies like this. <laughs> the film premiered in Berlin in 1927, presenting troubling issues of its time. And it turns out, ours. Corporate greed, political corruption, social inequality, and in the figure of Bridget Helms Maria, the dangerous yet powerful role of the individual activist in an oppressive culture. Her eyes, she's a little cross-eyed. Yeah, but that's sexy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> now, here we go. Classic German food. <laughs> Huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, um, you eat one. You know? I'm not finishing this, man. Oh, my God. It's ginormous. Kebab was introduced to Berlin by Turkish immigrants, and Donner Kebab is the German iteration. You know, at the end, it's something which is in every culture. You have something uh, grain outside, mm -hmm. bread, and then it's stuffed with something. Mm -hmm. You have meat in it. You have salad with it. You have spicy sauce and a lot of chili and you're gonna find it in, in all kind of different versions. We should maybe try the red, see what it does. Sure. This is also classic drunk food, I mean. Yeah. It's greasy, it's messy, it's, it's wet, it's crispy, it's, it's got it all. And it's very easy to be done uh, vegetarian? Well, I need the meat. I mean, <laughs> that big loaf that they put together, I mean, I don't know how they make it or extend it or whatever the hell it is. I don't really care what's in it. It's meat. I don't want grass-fed uh, Colorado or Australian lamb on my uh, oh. on my Donner kebab. I want, I, want a, I want this. You know, especially, again, you know, if I'm drunk late at night, Watching Metropolis. <laughs> Berlin has a dark side. But you knew this. You don't have to look too hard. But renowned photographer Miran Zaunier has been looking with a fixed gaze on people in the margins for decades. For over 40 years, he's worked diligently to capture the world's darker shades, its most marginalized people, the outsiders, the transgressive, the forgotten, the desperate and depraved, always in a non-judgmental, unblinking way. 
These are some of the shots we can put on TV. Many we can't. I urge you to find them. Shot with a lot of hustlers, dope addicts, prostitutes. How did you approach your subjects? Right up, right in picture, or do you establish relationships? Well, it always depended on the situation. Some were not aware of me. Others were exhibitionists. I had fights, but most of the time I didn't have any problems because there were situations I knew, okay, now I better retreat or I get my ass kicked. I had a very good sense of how far you can go. In recent years, Miran has been making films as well, shooting in abandoned spaces, celebrating all that is taboo, all that is wrong, all that is right about Berlin. With an unflinching gaze and a genuine affection for his subjects and characters. Berlin has a reputation as a place that you can come and be anything you want, behave pretty much as you want. Nobody's going to hassle with you. Is that true, do you think, and why? Endemic art is still possible. This is really important. You can create here independently, affording your little space, mm -hmm. and do what the f*** you want to do. Of, of all the capitals, in Europe, it's still the cheapest, the more affordable. Maybe you don't get anywhere, and maybe you don't make much money, but you can create freely. No artist in New York City, Paris, or London can do this. Well, you anymore. said you can't even rent the space. No, be, yeah, I mean, yeah. you got only if you really establish right. artists, you can live in these places. So you can come to Berlin, and you can have maybe a little show in some. Uh, basement or cellar, and uh, at least it's a start, and it's an interaction, and this is good. And this is really good about Berlin, it was always good about Berlin. of lives lived, lives lost. No other city has been repeatedly so powerful, then fallen so low. Few other cities have been so shaped by individual imaginations, either brilliantly creative or unspeakably evil. Start again, start again. Look back at the past, never forget it. Like an Irish playwright said, you must go on, I can't go on, I'll go on. <laughs>